The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by Enzymedica with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guests illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. And welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, a conversation of hope for Tuesday, April 20th. I'm Terry Aranga with my guest, Dr. Robert Sears, author of the new publication, The Autism Book, What Every Parent Needs to Know About Early Detection, Treatment, Recovery, and Prevention. A great resource to have on hand if you or any family you know is new to the diagnosis of autism or just wants to learn. Dr. Sears is a board-certified pediatrician, a co-author in the Sears Parenting Library, and the father of three. He is the co-author of the Updated Baby Book, the Premature Baby Book, the Baby Sleep Book 2005, and Father's First Steps, 25 Things Every New Dad Should Know, and he's also author of the Vaccine Book, Making the Right Decision for Your Child. Dr. Sears, thanks for joining us today. I'm very excited to be on the show. Thanks a lot. We're excited to have you. Well, Dr. Sears, let's start out with defining what is autism. Well, that's a great question. You know, I'd say, um, in a, you know, in a nutshell, it's uh, what I call a neurobiological disorder, in which um, various aspects of of the brain aren't working correctly. Various. Uh, um, brain hormones and brain chemicals that control behavior and um, and development and functioning just simply aren't working correctly. And so various parts of, of the child's development um, don't come out the way they should. The language, the movement skills, the, um, the, the interaction, the social interaction, uh, things just aren't quite uh, working the way they they were designed, and so it you know it comes out with various uh, symptoms, um, of course. But I think it all comes all comes down in a nutshell to the the brain's uh, um, chemicals and hormones or neurotransmitters aren't um, aren't functioning correctly, and we have to discover why and and how you know and what can, what what we can do about it. Well, you come from a medical family. How has childhood? particularly childhood and chronic disease, neurological and behavioral disorders, changed since your father began his practice? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I've, I've been a pediatrician for about 12 years, um, and so um, I don't think a lot has changed for me personally, but I think you're right. Um, compared to 20 and 30 years ago, you know, the, um, the number of children with allergies and learning disorders uh, chronic uh, recurrent infections. I mean, it's, I think it's all uh, it's all escalated uh, astronomically. And as a society, we should be healthier. 
our medical care should be getting better and better, and our preventative care should be getting better. And it's kind of confusing why all these chronic childhood illnesses continue to crop up. And, um, you know, I wish we could uh, get to get to the bottom of it. Yeah, you're right. Things seem to be devolving, uh, if I may use that word. And, um, yeah. yeah, the species seems to be devolving. What do you think? Well, I, um, you know, I, I, I would say, uh, from in my opinion, a lot of it has to probably do with our, our environment and environmental toxicity, chemical exposures, um, pollution, um, heavy metals in, in the foods and water and toys and in the air, um, all the stuff that we're exposed to, you know, our society has just gotten ahead of itself. You know, we've become too uh, industrialized. To uh, we just you know are polluting everything to such an extent that it's finally catching up with us. It's altering our our genetics, and the the chemicals are getting into our young babies and affecting development. And I think. That's kind of that. That seems to be one of the the underlying issues uh, related to to autism. In, in my mind, is the the combination of all these environmental toxic exposures that are altering our genetics and making us more susceptible to the effects of these chemicals. Good point. So, is that what's called epigenetics? Is that what you mean about these chemicals and such altering our genetics? Yes, and I think that's probably the the most commonly believed theory. When you look at where all the research is going and on all the research efforts people are putting forth into discovering the the underlying reasons for all these health problems, uh, particularly autism, most of the research is pointing to a combination of environmental exposure and toxicity and, and genetics. And we're not alone, are we? I mean, this isn't just um, affecting the uh, disease of the, of autism. Uh, this this affects other chronic diseases as well. Personally, I feel that autism is is simply a diagnostic label. But we're not alone, are we? Right, right, exactly. There's uh, that's why I think that that's probably why we are uh, getting unhealthier as a modern society. And we need to really uh, change. I think we need to change our entire uh, our entire planet. You know, environmentally, we need to clean it up. And hopefully, 50 to 100 years from now, we'll we'll have made enough changes to reverse you know this process of of uh, what what you call it de-evolution, devolving, evolving. Yeah. 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 But the the hope of it is, if we correctly define the problem, then we can uh, correctly uh, define the solution. Absolutely. Yeah. So do you believe that there are different general types of autism? Oh yes, I've seen I've seen the different types in my office. Um you know, there's the the infant who seems to have been born um with autism or um and the infant doesn't have good eye contact and doesn't smile or interact uh, much with those around him and and it's it's apparent in the first few months that the child uh, isn't developing well, and then, and that child goes on to you know display more and more problems um, during the first year, and and but I, I think what's what seems to have become more common in these last uh, 20 years is what we call regressive autism, in which a child seems to be developing completely normally. An infant is laughing, babbling, interacting, playing, 
in, in every uh, normal conceivable way. And then between age one and two, the baby loses those capabilities and, and regresses into autism. And that, that's what I think we're seeing more and more of. And then there's, um, you know, a couple more, you know, smaller subtypes. Uh, one is where a baby doesn't really regress backwards and lose all their capabilities, but, but the baby just stops developing, stops progressing. I call it, you know, halted progression autism and that's uh that's tougher to detect and that's more subtle and those kids usually get uh, diagnosed a little later because it's harder to pick up on mm-hmm. yes i've heard of many children who have plateaued so what should a parent be on the lookout for in troubleshooting autism in a firstborn child troubleshooting as far as um what are the what are the signs that they should be looking for yeah yeah um uh, first of all is uh, eye contact. You know, children, uh, infants should be very engaging. They should want to study a parent's face. Um, they should want to, uh, to follow the parent around. And, and an infant, you know, three, six months should really be uh, very engaging and interactive and, and respond um, to, uh, to a parent's interactions. Um, and then uh, infants should start babbling, vocalizing, you know, between six and nine months and come out with this jibber-jabber kind of baby talk by 12 months where, where the infant is very vocal. And those are probably the, the two uh, main signs that, uh, that a new parent could look for in, in their young baby. Um, now, uh, there's a lot of signs that come out in the, uh, during the second year of life that are they're kind of more important to really pick up on. <coughs> Pardon me, trying to clear my throat. Um, um, one is what's called um, uh, uh, joint attention. That's a skill, you know, developed during the, you know, around, uh, you know, 15, 18 months or so, where a toddler sees something interesting and wants to show somebody and wants to show their parent or an older sibling and wants to bring their attention to it and they study it together. It's called joint attention. Um, lack of language is another sign. Infants typically will come out with their first word like mama or dada and then something else by, by 12 or 15 months at the latest. And so no words by 18 months, in my opinion, is a, is a warning sign. Um, getting um, obsessed on, on just one or two main types of toys, that's a, that's a big sign parents should watch for. Children with autism seem to really become obsessed with trains or cars, toys with wheels. And if, it, if a child only wants to play with one or two main types of toys and doesn't branch out their interest into a wide area of different toys, that, that's a worry. And, and then um, not playing with toys appropriately. You know, children should play with dolls as if they're real babies, and they should play with stuffed animals as if they're alive and zoom their cars around like real cars, and if children are, are just treating these objects as, as, as inanimate objects or they're lining their, their, their toys up in patterns or arranging them in certain ways but not playing with them the way they're intended, that's, um, that's another uh, fairly common sign parents can look for. There, there are many, many signs, Terry, and I think it's really critical for parents to be educated about early detection because that's very key when it comes to... Um, to treating autism. Okay. So there could be infants who have um, prenatal uh, 
epigenetic exposures and then they're and and come out and aren't developing these things on target and then there could be children uh who are saying mama dada pointing at the moon having joint attention and then they regress or plateau so what factors can increase a child's risk you've talked about pollution but what are what's the gamut of factors that can increase a child's risk for developing autism or if you see signs earlier on uh, in the infant's um, journey, what can you do to stave off an autism diagnosis? That's a great question. Um, you know, obviously, if, if you have autism in your family already, then, then your, your subsequent children have a higher risk. And... Um, and if you have a family history, you know, either in a, in a uncles or cousins, um, then, then there's higher risk. Um, basically, you know, a lot of my preventative efforts are, are geared towards uh, uh, moms um, you know, before they get pregnant. Um, uh, prenatally, try to clean up your life as best as you can. Go organic as best as you can. Uh, um, green your home. You know, is green your whole lifestyle so your body is exposed to fewer chemicals. And that's important throughout pregnancy. It's important uh, during breastfeeding. And then it's very important for your young baby to, to eat only organic foods. And and uh, so I, I, I encourage parents to go out and, and find a book about greening your, your lifestyle um, before you get pregnant, ideally, but certainly during pregnancy and, and, and afterwards. Um, I, uh, you know, I like to uh, watch out for a variety of, of uh, um, uh, medical problems that tend to crop up in kids with autism, um, and by identifying certain types of medical problems earlier on and correcting those problems, you might be able to prevent and influence autism, and we can certainly touch on, on those, but, you know, we're talking food allergies, antibiotic overuse, um, chronic illnesses. Um, there's a lot of things, you know, chronic intestinal problems, diarrhea, constipation. If we identify these problems and correct them during infancy, we can hopefully prevent some of the uh, autistic problems from developing. All right, and we'll pick up with all of that when we come back from break. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on 
the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten, and Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymedica.com. Leadership is a destination, but how do you get there? More importantly, how do you maximize your power and influence and develop more leaders in your organization? Learn from proven leaders and proven practices. Join Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler for Leadership Development News. This program will help you develop the next leaders in your organization, balance your work life, manage your boss, and manage yourself. We'll feature cutting-edge interviews with industry experts and authors. Leadership Development News, every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, on The Voice America Business Channel. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. The show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Dr. Bob Sears, the author of the autism book, What Every Parent Needs to Know About Early Detection, Treatment, Recovery, and Prevention. And I would say that this is a must-have for your library. Before the break, we were talking about prevention uh, with Dr. Sears. And could you please tell us about metabolic and detoxification impairments and endocrine dysfunction and how that ties in with prevention? Yeah, I think um, uh, one area particularly I like to pay attention to is is if if a mom... Um, has a lot of uh, autoimmune problems, a lot of autoimmune disorders, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, um, lupus, um, <clears throat> fibromyalgia, those kinds of disorders. Um, we know autism, there's a lot of autoimmunity that goes on in autism, and, and I think uh, a parent with, you know, with those kinds of problems, or, or maybe a parent with a lot of different types of endocrine problems might... Um, might be more on the lookout uh, for you know early signs of autism in their in their child. You know the uh, detoxification impairments. There, there's certain types of um, minor genetic uh, mutations. Pardon me. Um, that a, that a mother or father might have that impair their own ability to detoxify chemicals from their bodies, and those kinds of impairments, uh, particularly uh, methylation impairments can be passed on to the baby and um, and you know, making that baby more susceptible to uh, to not being able to detoxify their bodies from these environmental chemicals. And we're just learning more and more about how to screen parents for these issues. And we do have screening techniques for, uh, 
that can be done on babies that, that look for these genetic alterations in, in detoxification abilities. Uh, I don't think anyone, Terry, yet has has done any good research to determine, though, if, if finding these problems and doing anything about these problems early on, you know, how much difference it actually makes in autism prevention in an actual research standpoint. But it's something that, you know, we really need to look into, and I think people are looking into studying that more and more. We need to find out how to genetically screen babies when they're born in order to find which babies have these genetic uh, susceptibilities to autism and other chronic diseases so that we can learn how to um, uh, prevent it, learn how to treat these babies a little differently, a little more cautiously, and uh, and hopefully prevent the development of autism. I would kind of have to think, uh, Dr. Sears, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, that since there are no genetic epidemics, um, because by definition you can't have a genetic epidemic. Right. Genes just don't, you know, mutate that fast. Um, that the precautionary principle would be to just not expose anyone to toxins. Right. You know, you're, you're totally right. I mean, everybody should should take precautions and try to live as green a life as they can and, and limit their exposure. Um, I think it's especially true. Well, well, I think it comes down to is figuring out why 1% of babies develop autism and why the other 99% don't when they all have very similar toxic, toxic exposures. I think that's, what, that's where the, the research needs to go is figuring out um, when we all have these same exposures, why 1% of us are developing problems, how we can identify those 1% that are susceptible and and take uh, take measures to to prevent it. Right, but even if we look at something like MTHFR polymorphisms, uh, methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase, yeah, I I've got to think that people had that going on, uh, you know, in the 1800s. These these genes just didn't all wake up one morning and 10,000 genes, 10,000 people's genes said, "I want to express myself this morning." I've got to think that these genes were there, but something else changed. Right, right, and it, it's it's a mystery. And I, you know, I'm a, I, I really, you know, I, I look forward to seeing the research that comes out on this. Um, I mean, you raise an interesting question, and I'm not sure what the, uh, you know, what what the answer to that is. Okay, so we've talked about. Um, we've talked about metabolic issues, and you had mentioned earlier in this interview, uh, and I thought it was a, a really nice explanation, a really elegant explanation about autism being a neurobiological disorders a disorder where brain hormones and brain chemicals were affected. So um, you said that things weren't working as designed, and these manifested themselves as symptoms and affected the neurotransmitters. So let's go into that a little bit more. How are neurotransmitters affected? Well, we, we don't know uh, a lot about exactly how they're affected. We know they are. Um, we, um, the, the research, you know, the, there's a lot of research that's looked at the different neurotransmitters, and I don't want to get, in, get into a lot, a lot of the details, but we know that there are a couple of um, a couple of neurotransmitters that we can use in, in treating children with autism, and and that often will relieve uh, some of their symptoms. And 
two of my favorite neurotransmitters I like to try to affect in, in kids with autism are uh, serotonin and, and GABA. Um, serotonin is what, what I call the, the brakes for the brain. It, it tells the brain to, to calm down, and it tells uh, the brain not to overreact to something. And, um, and a lot of kids with autism uh, seem to, to not have a, fun- a properly functioning serotonin system. So if we give these kids uh, certain supplements that boost serotonin, then it can it can calm things down a little bit. It can help with the the, the tantrums, some of the obsessive compulsive behaviors. Um, it can help uh, maybe with sleep. Um, and uh, but but as to why serotonin isn't isn't uh, functioning correctly, I'm not sure if we actually have an answer to that. Um, and then the other neurotransmitter, GABA. That's a, that's a brain hormone that that the brain uses, um, and I like to some you know give that to a child if if they're uh, if they have a lot of um, tantrums, um, hyperactivity, or sometimes uh, if their language uh, if, they, if a child with autism who doesn't have a lot of language, sometimes giving them GABA can turn on the language a little bit, um, and uh, and it can help with uh, the cognitive abilities, the focusing. Um, in school, that sort of thing. So there, there's some things we can do with neurotransmitters, but we probably there's probably more we don't know about it than, than what we do know, and we, we need to learn more and more. Isn't there some sort of testing, and this would be using um, uh, genetic testing in a useful, uh, helpful way that can tell, um, give the individual's profile, like individualized medicine, and then say, where they have some kinks going on in their metabolic pathways so that nutritional supplementation can be individualized for that particular patient to, to remedy the, the symptoms that we see? Oh, yeah. So there, there's a whole host of testing that's available. And you know, the, the testing, it, it can be pretty expensive, Terry, depending on what type of testing you do. Um, and I, you know, I talk a lot about testing, and I try to give you know appropriate guidance. So I'm not having parents spend tons and tons of money on testing, and so it's really important for parents to understand what's out there as far as testing. But to really sit down with with whoever's guiding them through their autism treatment and decide what's worth spending the money on for testing. What what are you going to do with the information? Um, you have to make sure the test results you get are going to be useful and, and you'll be able to act upon them. And then you go ahead with the testing that, that you feel is appropriate. And you're right, there is certain types of metabolic testing that you can do that can give you guidance on, on you know, what types of supplements to give your kids. But really, there are, there are a lot of uh, treatments and supplements you can give that don't require testing. So there's a whole host of things parents can do without ever even having a single test done on their child's metabolism that might uh, might really influence um, their child's uh, autism. So let's talk about that. Is this one of the things that you can start out with safely while you're waiting for your first doctor's appointment? Absolutely, because you know what I what I hate to see in, in my office, Terry, is is a a family come in with a, a four-year-old child with autism, and they tell me, you know, our child was diagnosed a year ago, and we've heard about all these treatment, you know, things that we could be doing, but and, and we've, we've you know, read about it and we've known about it, but we've never really 
acted on any of it. We haven't done any of it because we found it very confusing and we're just too worried to to start. And then from my perspective, you know, the child has lost a whole year that Mm -hmm. they could have been working on recovery. And there's so many, um, so many over the counter, um, you know, nutritional uh, supplements and diet changes parents can make even without a doctor's guidance, things that are very safe, things that are, that are 100% safe, um, that don't require a doctor's prescription, certain vitamins and minerals and supplements pa- patients can buy that, um, that they can start their child on before they ever see a doctor. And I love to see a new patient who's told me they spent the last six months working on all this, getting their child started on everything they, 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 they felt would apply to their child, and they've seen a lot of progress, and now they're ready to work with a doctor to get into the more advanced uh, treatment steps. That, that's the kind of patient I love to see because that child is, has uh, gotten a head start. And so I like to provide information for parents that they can use to act on uh, to help their child um, before they ever see a, a doctor. Right. Okay. So we've mentioned the importance of nutritional supplementation uh, and the metabolic system. You mentioned diet. Let's talk about the gastrointestinal system in general and then its interrelationship with the immune system. Oh, there's the break music. We're going to need to get a break here, and we'll pick up with that when we come back at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel with Dr. Bob Sears. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Tune in on Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart, the program that takes you on a journey through grief after the death of a child. Join Dr. Gloria Horsley, marriage and family therapist and bereaved parent, while she interviews and discusses with other bereaved parents and siblings how they have coped with the death of a child and gone on to create and realize new dreams. So tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart with Dr. Gloria Horsley, right here on Voice America Health & Wellness. Mark your calendar and set an alarm so you do not miss the highly acclaimed talk show, Holistic Living with Tina Marie and Todd Allen. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, noon Central, and 10 a.m. Pacific for inspirational, oftentimes edgy discussions on all that life brings our way with celebrity guests, world-famous authors, and everyday people dedicated to sharing positive, uplifting messages. Tina Marie and Todd Allen bring you the very best in talk radio discussions, guaranteed to make you smile. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. 
Radio.com. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Dr. Bob Sears. Again, he's the author of the autism book, What Every Parent Needs to Know About Early Detection, Treatment, Recovery, and Prevention. And I'm really impressed with how comprehensive this book is, just really how many uh, different topics in autism it talks about. And so uh, good work there, Dr. Sears. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Terry. You're welcome. Well, before the break, I was beginning to ask you about uh, diet and the gut. So how about the gastrointestinal system in general, and is there in a relationship with the immune system? Well, people have, have called our gut um, our second brain, and I guess you could call it our, our uh our second immune system as well. You know, the, the gut ha- has an entire nervous system around it that, that controls it and that it's directly connected and interrelated with the brain. And so if the gut isn't healthy, um, the brain is not going to be healthy and the brain is not going to be functioning correctly. And then same thing with the immune system. You know, the, the gut has a, the, the lining of the gut and, and actually even the, the deeper uh, layers of the, of the gut lining are just filled with all kinds of immune cells and, and aspects of our immunity. And when, that, when, the, when the, the gut is not working, then our immune system breaks down. It becomes um, uh, hyper, hyper-reactive, and we get a lot of autoimmune problems that get, that get triggered when the gut isn't healthy. And then, and then consequently, the brain doesn't work uh, as well either. And so one of the primary focuses in autism treatment is to heal the gut and to look for any factors involved in, in creating gut problems, and we start there first. Okay, so let me see if I can tie this together accurately, I hope. So if something's gone awry with the gut, then it uh, it makes some immune uh, fact aspects of the gut uh, angry, and they shoot off these chemical messengers that go up and make the brain angry, and that creates behavioral manifestations. Is that kind of a simple layman yeah, summary? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, why is diet important? Well, the food allergies are probably one of the biggest irritants to the gut, and one of the most common allergies that we see, not in just autism, but in our children in general is uh, milk allergies, just allergies to, to cow's milk, specifically the casein, the protein in cow's milk. And the reason it's so prominent is, is that's the primary protein that, that our babies are being fed when, when they're fed formula. And we start all our, our toddlers on milk when they turn age one, and that's the primary protein that we're all exposed to. And so if a child is allergic to that and they're, they're getting that protein month after month, then it just wreaks havoc on, on the gut. And then, and then, you know, wheat or gluten allergies are probably the, the second most common type in, in autism and, and in our children in general. And, you know, when do we start feeding kids wheat? We start giving them wheat and gluten around 9 to 12 months. And, uh, and, and if the, the gut breaks down and the gut becomes completely dysfunctional from starting milk and eating wheat, you know, around 9 to 12 months, 
then the, the, the whole child system breaks down. So it's really critical to identify if you have a child with or without autism. If you have a child who's allergic to milk or wheat, you, you really have to identify it so you can take those out of their diet. What came first, the leaky, impaired gut or the food allergies? Is it that food allergies hurt the gut or is that you had uh, holes in your gut that was that caused permeability and these proteins getting through to the blood and the immune system and the brain? You know, I don't know what came first, Terry, and, and it could be different for, for different babies. Mm. You might have a baby that has, has a perfectly healthy gut with no gut symptoms at all until they start drinking a lot of milk and eating a lot of wheat. And or you might have a baby who seems to have been born with an unhealthy gut and a, a leaky gut and and then the, the milk and the, the wheat exposure just make it worse. So I don't know, Terry, but whichever came first, we know what to do about it. Good point. So where do antibiotics fit into all this? Yeah, and then antibiotics are another hit that the gut can take. Um, unfortunately, you know, kids get ear infections and sinus infections and pneumonia and all kinds of things. And, yeah, you don't always, you don't often need antibiotics for these things, but but a lot of a lot of um, times they're prescribed anyway, and and so when a children takes antibiotics, the, the antibiotics besides killing off the infection, they also kill off the healthy germs that that live inside our intestines that help everything work better. They're called our, our probiotics, the germs that are supposed to be there. And when we kill those off, um, many many things can go haywire in the gut. And and we see that very commonly in our kids with autism, um, all those effects of antibiotics. And so we have to take steps to, to heal that up, to, to replace the probiotics that the kids are missing, to avoid antibiotics as best we can. And then the, probably the most common problem that comes up is yeast overgrowth. These kids with autism tend to have a lot of yeast in their gut, especially if they've had a lot of antibiotics. And so we... There's, there's over-the-counter yeast treatments, there's diet changes you can make to, to help your yeast, and then there's prescription treatments that your doctor can give you to help, to help get rid of your child's yeast. Okay, and are there any other little nasties that can occur from antibiotic use? There are certain types of bacteria that, uh, that can overgrow in the gut um, when you take a lot of antibiotics, and those... Um, those uh, those bacteria can also wreak havoc. What, what these bacteria and yeast do is they secrete toxins. They have waste products, and those waste products get absorbed into our body and, and flow into our brain and, and just create a lot of behavioral confusion and problems. And so by eliminating these bad bacteria, replacing it with the good bacteria, and then, um, and then uh, getting rid of the yeast, we can limit all these toxin exposures and we see a lot better behavior in our kids. So what behavior might parents look for when a child is yeasty or when there's some issue with clostridia going on, for example? Right, yeah, yeah. You, you, you named the, the, the main bad bacteria that we see, the clostridia. Um, we see these kids have a lot of tantrums, obviously um, often diarrhea, um, We'll see them uh, hand flapping and toe walking, or, or what we call stimming. Um, we see, uh, those are often the, the most common yeasty type symptoms. 
but the symptoms can be unique for each child. And so I like parents to identify what gets better when we treat yeast and write those symptoms down because you need to watch for them to return. And I'll have parents uh, call me up and say, hey, my kid's yeasty because he's doing this or that. And we'll, we'll treat them, you know, with, uh, for yeast again um, because the parents have, have, have reliably uh, learned what their child's yeast, individual yeast symptoms are. Now, we were talking about therapeutic diet. So things like um, yeast and clostridia love stuff like uh, sugar and carbs and um, corn, things like that. So I, the first line of defense would be to take out things that exacerbate um, nasties like yeast and, and clostridia. Um, but then, too, so you know, first thing, we get rid of the ho-hos and the, the Twinkies and such, and the soda, but what do we really mean by therapeutic diets for autism? What's out there? Well, the, the gluten-free, casein-free diet is, is the most common one where we get rid of the, the milk and the wheat proteins like we alluded to before. That's the primary diet that, that uh, kid, uh, families use to heal their kids' guts. There's a, another very interesting diet called the specific car- carbohydrate diet, or SCD, and that that diet um, is, is kind of what you were just describing. We we get rid of all the carbohydrate sources that the bad bacteria and the yeast like to feed on in order to grow. We basically starve the yeast and the bacteria by by having kids not eat the kind of carbs that will feed those bad germs. And then those germs die off, and the kids' guts can heal up and um, become more healthy and and then not only you know not only that, but that we avoid the types of carbs that tend to be more irritating to the kids' guts, um, not just for the yeast and the bacteria, but just the irritation irritation in general. Um, those are my two favorite diets: gluten casein free and SCD. Um, there are there are you know other diets out there, other other things parents can do, but those, those are the first. Those are the two I generally rely on um, with my patients. All right, and um, so even when doing those diets, just to let uh, parents new to the diagnosis know, um, if you're doing a particular diet, make sure your child's not um, allergic to something else that's on that diet. Like if you're doing GFCF, your child still might have a problem with soy or corn, so you'd want to check that out. And um, also consider under a doctor's care nutritionally supplementing your child as is appropriate for their individual metabolism. So. Dr. Sears, what about enzymes? We're, we're doing the diet um, as a first line of defense, and uh, we're providing some good nutritional supplementation and probiotics. What about enzymes, the role of them? Yeah, di- digestive enzymes are, are very important. Um, th- that's one of my, my five uh, top supplements I like kids to start off with. Um, you know, a lot of kids with autism, because their gut is messed up, they're not absorbing their food properly. They're not getting all the nutrition they should out of their food. And, and you'll sometimes see the food pass undigested into the stools. But a lot of these kids can be can be uh, undernourished or not getting a lot of the right vitamins and minerals and proteins. And and so I like to have kids take uh, digestive enzymes. Um, you take them at the beginning of, of every meal, and it basically helps the kids digest their food more more completely and more properly. So they're getting the most out of their out of their nutrition. But not only that. Uh, poorly digested food, once it passes through the, the first part of the intestines, 
when it gets to the later part of the intestines, it can be very irritating. Mm-hmm. And that food, the, the, you know, the undigested foods can feed the yeast and the bacteria and then cause a lot of inflammation in the gut, especially, you know, foods that you might be uh, allergic to or sensitive to. So taking the digestive enzymes can help your body absorb all those things better so less uh, irritating food products get in, get into the the bottom part of the gut. And I often see kids that show a lot of improvement in their intestinal symptoms and their behavior when they're taking digestive enzymes. All right, and we'll pick up with this when we come back to the Voice America channel, Health and Wellness channel with Dr. Bob Sears. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. We'll be right back. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. The World Health Organization estimates that 50 to 80 million people worldwide are facing infertility today. For most of them, this news is devastating. It's time for Gifted Journeys. This innovative program, hosted by Wendy Wilson, president of a highly successful California-based egg donation agency, will take you beyond the traditional family and introduce you to alternatives such as IVF, egg donation, surrogacy, and adoption. You'll hear from experts and those who have walked the path. Tune in to Gifted Journeys, Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Health and Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. Right before the break, we were talking with Dr. Bob Sears, author of the autism book about enzymes and the benefit of enzymes. And um, Dr. Sears is kindly uh, uh, letting me share his time and make a comment that for our family, blending, blenderizing, uh, fresh, whole, organic produce in a blender and uh, juicing and pureeing uh, these uh, organic produce items was very, very helpful to uh, my son's comfort level. So... Thank you for letting me share that, Dr. Sears. And um, let's talk about your opinion on whether 
educational, behavioral, and adjunct therapies that the kids get are more fruitful when biomedical therapies are also implemented at the same time. Yes, I agree, and 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 those therapies are very very critical. ABA therapy, language therapy, occupational therapy, and sensory integration therapy. It's all very very important. And but I think you also have to fix the the body. You have to fix the gut and the immune system. And so I I advise all my patients to do a combination of behavioral developmental therapies and the biomedical therapies so we can really achieve the, the optimal improvement. It always um, kind of mystifies me when people are very uh, close-minded about the value of biomedical therapies or, or diet. and It's as if they think our kids are a bunch of disembodied heads walking around <laughs> um, because, like, if, if you and I went out for a beer, I don't know if you do that, but if you and I went out for a beer, that would go down into the gut and it would most certainly affect our head. Right. Right. There's a body as a whole, and we have to address everything that that can go wrong with autism, and uh, it's really, really critical to identify all the possible medical problems, nutritional, allergic, infectious, what have you, and, and correct them all. So that when you do the therapy for the brain, when you do the developmental therapy, the brain's ready to receive it, and the brain's ready to 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 move on with life and improve and develop. Right, because I bet after we had those beers, we wouldn't be able to do our ABA as well. <laughs> It'd be more fun, though. <laughs> I don't know. Then we might get a, a tummy ache, and, yeah, and yeah, yeah. we'd be double over in our ABA chair, and we don't just want to put an an antecedent behavior consequence plan in place. We want to get rid of the beer. Right. So tell us a little bit about laboratory testing. Well, there are a lot of um there there are some, some real important tests I think parents can do that they can even do um just with their general pediatrician. You know, pediatricians don't often know exactly what to test for with autism. But um, I, I do provide the education that, that points parents in the right direction and tells them what types of testing they should do. Um, the kids should be tested for food allergies, for gluten sensitivity, for anemia, for lead exposure. Um, they should um, have their vitamin D levels checked, uh, make sure they're not low in zinc. Thyroid hormone is very important to check. Um, there's, uh, you know, you can have your genetics examined and do some good genetic testing and and, and you, you know that that's that's kind of the the real simple basics as far as what you could ask your pediatrician to do now a doctor that works specifically with autism is going to take the testing to a whole more advanced level and, and test a whole variety of other things to really you know look down deep in what's going wrong but the things i just listed are what every young child who's dealing with their pediatrician with suspected autism should ask their pediatrician to test their child for. What about the older child, the parents who've been on this journey for many years and they have a teenager and now new opportunities are coming out for intervention? Tell us about the hope for the older individual. Well, I, I've, uh, I heard um, uh, a story from a good friend of mine. Uh, she had a neighbor with a, a 25-year-old uh, girl with autism who had never really tried any of these uh, creative therapies, and she she went on the gluten casein free diet, 
even at age 25, and traumatic, you know, tremendous benefits came out right away. And I would say it's never too late to try these things. And um, and even with an older child, you know, you can still affect some some healing and some some improvements. So I encourage every everyone at any age to give it a try. Absolutely, we're hearing success stories and stories of recovery every day, and um, about language being restored in older individuals. It's it's really wonderful. So, Dr. Sears, give us your um, your take home message for what does a new family really need to act on right away? Well, the, the, cre- the, the, the key, as you said, is to act. Don't sit around and ponder and wonder what to do and investigate and wait for, uh, for every test to possibly be done. You have to act. You have to act on the developmental therapies right away. Get in with an ABA therapist and an occupational therapist right away. Um, act on the, the diet changes. You know, if, you, if you suspect your child's you know, child gut is unhealthy, um, get on the diet right away. Get some of the, the basic testing in and then start on, you know, start on the basic supplements. They're very easy to do. The digestive enzymes, the probiotics, multivitamins with extra B vitamins and minerals. Um, pro, uh, did I say probiotics? Taurine and, and fish oils. Very, some very key list of, you know, five, six or seven real key supplements. Vitamin D. Uh, a number of things you should start on right away. Um, and then, you're spending the next year investigating all this, getting your child tested, getting your child into all the therapies and, and, and diagnosed and, and uh, really getting into it. But you don't, you don't want to be paralyzed by inaction and uncertainty. You really want to act by getting into ABA therapy and, uh, and occupational therapy and then the basic biomedical treatment. Are there any particular support groups out there that you'd like to mention that can help guide parents through this process? Yeah, my uh, my favorite support group that I do a lot of work with actually is TACA, Talk About Curing Autism. They're a nationwide uh, support group with, um, I think they're in, a, what are they, in 19 different states. They have chapters uh, in, in a lot of the major areas of the country where families newly diagnosed can go and, and learn from these veteran parents, learn who the best therapists are, the best uh, school districts in the area, what what doctors are around and and how to how to work the you know the the insurance system and the school system to try to get your child into therapy parents that have done all the legwork for you already they're ready and 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 willing to help you get started with your child um so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel in trying to figure out what to do so um yeah i always like to to point parents towards uh taca t a c a as as a great resource to get started Yes, and we really would like to laud Lisa Ackerman for being at the helm of this wonderful resource. Yeah. Parents can learn more about TACA by going to www.tacanow.org. That's T-A-C-A-N-O-W.org. Well, Dr. Sears, thank you for sharing information from your book with us today. Parents can find a lot more information in this comprehensive volume and can click through to the autism book from the Age of Autism website at www.ageofautism.com or just go straight to Amazon to find a copy. Please visit Dr. Sears' website at askdrsears, that's A-S-K-D-R-S-E-A-R-S.com. So, Dr. Sears, again, I want to thank you. 
Well, thank you, Terry. I really appreciate it. You're quite welcome. And it's only four weeks to go until the Autism One Generation Rescue 2010 conference. There's going to be over 160 speakers and over 170 presentations. We hope to see you there. Please visit www.autismone.org. My guest next week is the author of the new book, The Best Kind of Different, and that's Shonda Schilling. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. For any questions about this program, please email me at taranga at autismone.org. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Medica would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit AutismOne.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.